Welcome to The Bounce, sports talk with a spin. This is the podcast where sports becomes eclectic. We talk about everything from fascinating athletes you've never heard of to taking a deep dive into sports issues that don't always make the news. So whether you're an athlete, a fan, or just want to know more about sports, The Bounce has got you covered. Parallel bars, balance beams, and floor routines. That's the sound of gymnasts working out. Sounds that are only too familiar to Wendy Hilliard, the champion gymnast you need to know about. Wendy was the first African-American rhythmic gymnast to compete as a member of the U.S. national team. She represented the U.S. at three world championships and at the 1984 Olympic trials. Wendy was a four-time U.S. national team coach, and she was inducted into the USA Gymnastics Hall of Fame. In 1996, she started the Wendy Hilliard Foundation to empower young people from underserved communities. To date, the Wendy Hilliard Foundation has provided free and low-cost gymnastics to more than 25,000 aspiring gymnasts. One or more you will no doubt see in future Olympics. Wendy Hilliard, welcome to The Bounce. It is such an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to uh, talk to you. Yay, yay. You are, like, I have known about you for a long time. I'm a longtime gymnastics fan. I understand that, like, Ludmila Tereshcheva was also one of your your idols, and I remember her from, from back in the day. So, yay. Um but I want to start out with a story I know you've told before. It's about how um, Detroit became the center of rhythmic gymnastics in the early 1980s, like a city you would not n- normally, you know, think of as a, like a gymnastics hotspot. So how did how did that happen? So as it turned out, um, I was looking to take gymnastics, uh, girls' artistic gymnastics, bars and beam, which I didn't have in the city of Detroit. They had tumbling at the Y, but I wanted to take gymnastics. So I went out to the suburbs, and one of the places I took gymnastics was the Jewish Community Center. They had just hired these two coaches, um, Vladimir and Zina Marinoff. They're both doctors, Dr. Zina and Dr. Vladimir Marinoff. They're PhDs, and, um, but they are from the Kiev, Ukraine. And um, my mom asked the recreation department head, his name was Leon Atchison, and he was a boxer. So she said, you know, it's so expensive out there. It was $500 for the year, which my mom thought was like crazy. And so and it was far. So uh, he hired them. Um, and then they brought both uh, her, uh, Zena's sister, Rosa, Rosa Litvakova at the time, Rosa Litva, and Mike Frieden, who taught uh, acrobatics. So as it turned out, the Detroit Recreation Department, which cost us like $20 a year to take gymnastics because the coaches were paid by the city, um, we had this really great gymnastics team. After about three or four years, we had uh, rhythmic gymnastics. Zena was a master sport in rhythmic and her sister Rosa. Uh, Vladimir, who taught artistic gymnastics, girls artistic gymnastics, and Mike Frieden, who taught acrobatics, sports acro at the time. And in about four years, we were in rhythmic gymnastics um, rivaling basically the top of the country with Los Angeles School Gymnastics. We had the top team. And so it was kind of a situation where 
it was very interesting because all the kids that wanted to be on the gymnastics team really wanted to be on the gymnastics team. And it wasn't about whether you had money to pay or anything like that. She, if you're going to train with Zena and Vladimir <laughs> Rosa, like if you're going to put up with that training and they had just come <laughs> from the former Soviet Union and what they wanted to do, then you're going to get better. And it's kind of funny because all of my teammates, uh, we always joke about it, but we had this really, really great training. It didn't cost a lot. And as a result, we became very good and one of the best in the, in the country. That is such an amazing story. And of course, I have to ask, how's your Russian these days? Uh, I mean, I can teach, I can speak a little bit. It's that's the line <laughs> I use and all the people that uh, speak Russian um, say that I would, it used to be much better. I guess I used it when I moved to New York. I, I used it a lot when Zena, when we were training and then I, she used to teach at the uh, Wayne community college. She used to teach Russian. I took Russian, but um, it's not as good anymore. Cause I have, it's just like, if you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> So what was it like? And I understand they were refuseniks, right? These were part of the, the Soviet uh, Jews who left during that during that time period, correct? So they, yes. they wanted to leave Soviet Union. So it must have been an interesting adjustment for them too to come, you know, to the United States at that time. And, you know, you you were both getting used to each other, right? Their their system of coaching and you were just like young girls who wanted to um, wanted to do gymnastics. Yeah, for us, it was really great because we didn't have anything to compare it against, right? I mean, I hadn't been taking gymnastics that long. I was an artistic gymnast and uh, Zena and I always argued while she was alive of who, why they start rhythmic gymnastics. She says, I begged her to teach me rhythmic. And I'm like, Zena, I didn't even know what rhythmic gymnastics was because it really wasn't, they didn't do it in the United States very much. It had just become an Olympic sport. Like in the early, the 84 was the first time it was in the Olympics. So it was a very new sport. And I remember Ribbon being in the gym and she was really great at rhythmic gymnastics. And at the time, all of the top rhythmic gymnasts used to do artistic gymnastics. So me and my teammates in the national team could turn around and do a round of back tuck. We could beam routine bars. We did the whole thing and then we could do our rhythmic as well. So um, the thing about it, though, with me and my teammates from Detroit is that this is what we knew. It was very... It was very disciplined, strict, but very artistic and um, funny. No parents in the gym. It's kind of funny because I, I kind of like that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And Zena was like, the parents were walking in. She's like, what are you doing here? It's like, what? <laughs> get, Why are you walking inside the gym? <laughs> get out of gym now. <laughs> you know, it was just like for her, it was just like, why are you guys here? Like mm -hmm. that was so that's not how they were trained. But and it was pretty funny. But um but my teammates and I from Detroit really have such great memories. We joke about a lot of things and, you know, it was a little strict, it was a little intense, but for Detroit, actually, it was perfect at the time. Detroit was having a tough time in the, in the early eighties as a city. And we were like traveling around the world, representing the United States. We brought the first televised national championships was at Cobo hall in Detroit. We brought like uh, Neska Robova, who was like the top, coach from Bulgaria and had a, a training camp with the Bulgarians in Detroit. It was like hilarious. We were doing all these random things, but we were quite the bright spot and it was really a great time. We'll be right back with more of The Bounce. Welcome back to our conversation with gymnast Wendy Hilliard on The Bounce. Tell us a little bit more about how you first started with rhythmic gymnastics. Like you said, uh, did you see somebody with the 
the ribbon first or the ball or the hoop? What what got you hooked on rhythmic? You know, I had seen rhythmic when the um, the Soviet team used to do a you know tour after the Olympic Games. They would go around the country and they tour. And then they would bring a rhythmic gymnast with it. Remember, rhythmic didn't start until 1984. That's the only time I saw it. The reason I started rhythmic is because my coach, Zena, was a master of sport in rhythmic gymnastics, and she was working in the city. So that's what she knew. And they were promoting rhythmic because it was a new Olympic sport. So that's what we took. We took rhythmic. And there was another gym, Marina, um, Steve Whitlock's gym in uh, Bloomfield Hills, the Acronauts, and Marina Davidovich also had a team out there. And then Marina, I think, left Detroit and moved to Florida. So her athletes came from the suburbs, came to the city of Detroit, and they joined our team. And one of those athletes was Michelle Baruba, who made two Olympic teams, and my really good friend, Karen Line. It was the funniest thing is that at that time in the 80s, they were going to the city of Detroit to get the best gymnastics from the suburbs. So we had this really wild combination of, uh, of things. But um, I really just started it because Zena was so great and she was in Detroit. And um, we had talked about this in our, our pre-interview, but why do you think that people in the United States don't show as much love for rhythmic gymnastics as, as they should? I mean, it's such an incredible part of gymnastics that other than, you know, maybe every, every four years, people really don't get um, exposed to. Oh, why why doesn't rhythmic gymnastics get more love? This is really what I want to say. <laughs> um, you know, Americans love champions. Until we get a champion for a long time in rhythmic gymnastics, it's going to take a while. I think it's it's changing somewhat because at least now, because we have so many other streaming services, you can see rhythmic gymnastics except for every four years. So it was really tough. You'd see it every four years and the Americans weren't winning. So that's not like what Americans like to see, like to watch champions. And so that's what it's been. But rhythmic is one of the, like I worked with the Olympic bid for many years. So I've studied the Olympics. I've been to most of the summer games since 84, except for the last one. Rhythmic is one of the sports first sports to sell out mm. tickets in the Olympic Games. That's how popular it is worldwide. But it's just not American popular. So, you know, that's how it goes. But the reason is, is that they just have not been um, uh, seen it enough and they just don't have a history of it. I and mean, we realized, you know, gymnastics, which has been popular really since the mid 80s because of Mary Lou, I would say, because it wasn't that that popular before, right? Um, it just takes time. And then when you have champions, you do it more, but it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> it's not real popular here yet, but um, that's okay. Cause now we can see it a lot. We can see world cups and we can see a lot of rhythmic. I, I want you to score me some tickets. Can you do that? <laughs> can you give me the good I, seats? I wish, you know, Olympic tickets and all this stuff is a little bit tougher and the next game is going to be in Paris. So there's certain, some things. Oh, you definitely have to get me tickets. <laughs> I know, but it's tougher. I mean, I, was, I had a tough time getting tickets in London. What happens in the, in the uh, larger cities, like in Brazil, it was pretty easy to get tickets. In London, it was hard. And I'm sure Paris is going to be very tough too, but. That's okay. Goes. I won't hold you to it. I won't. Thank you. That's all right. <laughs> Um, so Wendy, you have such an incredible resume. Um, I, I read in the introduction, all your various championships, but one thing that really 
interests me is that even after your days of competition were, were over, or actually during your days of competition, you have been taking taking leadership and advocacy roles. Um, how did how did that come about? Was it just because you saw a void? Um, can I just tell you one story? Like Mick Jagger once said that he became sort of the de facto manager of the band because quote no one else would lift a finger. Is it? Are you just like a natural born leader, or what? How have you become, you know, the the advocate and leader that you are today? That's a very interesting question. So I think it's twofold. So I think it's twofold in that um, where I grew up and my parents are both have always been community leaders. They are leaders in our church. They are leaders in the city, especially after the rise of Detroit. My father was really active in rebuilding the area the 12th street area where a lot of the rights took place. And then he was like a boy scout. My mom was, you know, we're always like community. So mm-hmm. I think being raised in that is one thing. So the biggest thing that changed my life is when they were choosing the, um, the world championship team for the world championships for 83. And it was a group routine. So in the group at that time, they had six athletes. And so you go to the Olympic training center in Colorado Springs, they usually take about maybe 20, 20 girls or 14 or something like that. Cause you're only taking six. So maybe it's 14. And then they would, um, you'd have an A group and a B group. And I was in the A group because I had already been to two world championships by this time. And I'd done group. So you stay there six weeks and then the coaches get together and the judges get together and they announce a team. Well, they didn't announce my name and everybody was shocked. I mean, my mm. coach was really upset. And then the other teammates were just like, yo, how come, how come Wendy's not on the team? And uh, I just see, well, I went up to the coach. And I'm like, she's like, oh, Wendy, you stand out too much. I was like, wow, you, you're really telling me that because I'm black and I stand out too much, you're not going to put me on the team. I'm like, wow. So, you know, it was devastating. But I called my parents and they were having none of it. <laughs> Community organizers as they were, they're like, we're sending a telegram <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> fax or whatever to USA Gymnastics and tell them they can't do this. Not to their, I mean, it's, my parents were just like over it. They're like, everything they've gone through in their lives as Black Americans, they both went to college. They both had to fight to get there. I mean, it was such a hard time. And then the kid to this point and make it so blatant, right? They were not having it. So they wrote USA Gymnastics and USA Gymnastics, you know, they're like, you just can't do that. Right. In the uh, Eastern Bloc countries, you could do that one. You had 10 blonde girls in blue. You know, you Mm -hmm. had a different way of Mm -hmm. um, you didn't have to answer anybody and you just had a different way of doing things. You couldn't do it here. That was the biggest thing because they did change it. Right. They 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 went on USA Gymnastics said you have to go by the rank order from the national championships, which meant I made the team. So I was in the top six in the country. And it was it was important for me that you have to stand up for yourself. That was the first thing, because if we hadn't said anything, I would not have gone to the world championships. The other thing is, is that, you know, it taught me, it taught the other girls. So this is what's happening. So in that time, they started trying to get more athletes to be on the committees for you know, USA Gymnastics for the Olympic Committee, they wanted more athlete voice. So Nancy Thies Marshall, who was an Olympian, was basically kind of recruiting people to be part of the Athletes Committee for USA Gymnastics. Um, And when they had a vote for the athlete representative for Rhythmic, they all said, well, we want to vote for Wendy because she knows how to stick up for herself. (laughs) That's how I got into advocacy because I was voted by my teammates because they witnessed someone speaking up for them. 
And in gymnastics, it's not always easily done that way. So yeah. that's how it started. No, that's so that's so important, Wendy. You know, athletes need need a voice at every level in in sport. Wendy, were your did your parents actually go to like Colorado Springs or no Indianapolis? Where's USA Gymnastics? Is it in no, Indianapolis? USA Gymnastics is in Indianapolis, and it was at that time. We were in Colorado Springs, but they just okay. sent a, a fax or a telegram or something like that. A fax. Okay, they, they didn't, didn't like <laughs> drive no. over, knock, knock, knock. Hey. No, no, no. They were, you know, my parents knew what to say. I, I forget what it is, but I remember getting the letter saying that I was on the team. Um, and it, it turned around pretty fast. But as a result, the coach who was supposed to coach resigned because you, it was pretty groundbreaking because you were going against the head coach at the time, the top judges. And this is the year before the Olympics. So, I mean, in retrospect, it's like a little tight to be fighting things, but that's this now how things work out. We got to fight it when it comes to you. Um, so it was a big risk. But I think what it taught me and my parents is that you have to you have to handle it when it happens. There's nothing like I'll wait and do all this, you know, wait till next year, maybe next time. Let's talk about something that still uh, bedevils me, which is gymnastics uniforms. Um, you were you were talking about how you uh, were. You wanted to wear a black leotard, but you were told that that was not going to be the right uh, color, perhaps, for you. What was that story about? So my coach, Zena, um, in rhythmic especially, it, it's not as crazy as it is now, but it was a big deal because in rhythmic gymnastics, you wear a different leotard for each routine, right? And, um, and so besides doing that, we also... Um, one of the team parents, Mandy's mother, used to make all of our Mrs. Wilcott made all the leotards. She made a beautiful leotard. It was black, but it had these beautiful flowers, different color flowers on the front and little daisies on the back. It was the cutest leotard ever. Everybody wanted to wear black leotards because they thought it was chic. But Zena's like, no, Vindy, you want to wear something that highlights your skin, like makes it bright. So you want to wear a bright color. So the contrast of your dark skin will pop, basically. That's, that's how it works. And I was really depressed about that because I love the leotard. But you know, we were always changing things with the Eastern Europeans. And so Bulgaria, I mean, they probably gave me a ribbon for it, but whatever. And so <laughs> we would always change because they were really good negotiators. So I gave my leotard or I exchanged it with one of the top Bulgarians who wore it like at the next two world championships or World Cups. I always saw tapes with my beautiful leotard. <laughs> they, they were almost had tears in their eyes when they saw it because it was so beautiful and they couldn't get that type of material at the time. Right. It was hard for them to get that kind of lycra. So it lived on. It didn't live on me, but it is true. <laughs> um, you know how you wear your leotard, how it looks is pretty important, especially in rhythmic because it's all the music and the theme and luck, luck, luck. So, yeah, leotards are big. Since gym, your uh, competition days have ended, you have gone on to stay in the sport um, through your foundation, the Wendy Hilliard Foundation. And you have, uh, according to your bio, trained over 25,000, uh, mostly girls or boys also, or anybody who wants to can join in. Is that how it Yes, how it girls is? and boys. It's primarily girls, but we do girls and boys. Mm -hmm. Well, 20, 25,000 um, youth, both in uh, New York and now in Detroit as well. Uh, what gave you the idea to start the foundation? You know, um, the foundation started pretty much because I want to go back to 
what I was awarded, the experience I had, right? So after I retired, I performed for about 10 years. I did a lot of, I did Broadway. I did a lot of tours and a lot of TV shows. And then I was coaching and my gymnast, Alian, now Alian Baccarat Wilson, went on to the 96 Olympics. Um, and it was really great. She did group. And so as soon as she was off to make the Olympic team, I wanted to go back to grassroots because when you coach elite athletes, you're in the gym as much as they are because they're elite. So I was in the gym as an athlete for six hours a day and then turn around coaching six hours a day at six o'clock in the morning. I was like, okay, okay, okay. Let me go back to some grassroots. Um, and Alian was great. And so I wanted to go back to grassroots and I, you know, Alpha Alexander, who's uh, one of my board members emeritus now, we just sat around because the Olympic Committee, or now the Olympic and Paralympic Committee, was giving grants for emerging sports, which rhythmic gymnastics was one of those. And also, I just um, finished, I was kind of in my tenure as president of the Women's Sports Foundation. So I had been with the Women's Sports Foundation probably on the board like three or four years. I learned a lot about, about, advocacy that's the other thing i mean besides my gymnastics and i went to the women's sports foundation i'm a trained advocate for sure <laughs> don't, don't don't put any anything in the way of an athlete trying to get something to do in front of me so i had done that but also i learned about fundraising and things like that and so that's why i wanted to start my kind of crazily but it was i just wanted kids to be able to take gymnastics because it wasn't any more diverse and it was so expensive it was yeah, great. It just got yeah. kind of off the chart expensive. And I, it was out of the reach of most of the kids that really wanted to do it. So that's why I started it. That's amazing. I mean, I'm an independent filmmaker and the amount of work it takes even to get to the point where you're turning on the cameras is incredible. So I can only imagine what it, what it took to, you know, bootstrap the foundation and that where, where it is today. I want next time I'm in New York, can I stop by? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Am I allowed in the gym? I'm not now, yeah, probably. No, no, yeah, you can come in. Now it was COVID. That's the other thing. But anyway, now we're we're having people come in now. <laughs> okay, that's that's really cool. Wendy Hilliard, I want to thank you so so much for being an awesome guest on the Bounce. I am wishing you all the best and can you, continued success with the Wendy Hilliard Foundation and any other endeavor that you set your mind to. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it, Jill. I really did. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Bounce, sports talk with a spin. The Bounce is hosted and produced by me, Jill Yesko. The podcast is distributed by your public studios. New episodes of The Bounce will be released the third Thursday of the month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about The Bounce at wypr.org backslash studios.